0: Bran knew all the stories—their names were like music to him—serwyn of the Mirror Shield, Sir Ryam Redwine, Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight, the twins Sir Eric and Sir Eric, who had died on one another's swords hundreds of years ago, when brother fought sister in the wall the singers called the Dance of the Dragons, the White Bull, Gerald Hightower, Sir Arthur Dane, the Sword of the Morning, Barristan the Bold.
1: Bran thinks of all these legendary knights because he's fascinated by the Kingsguard and had wanted to join their ranks. Of those named in this daydream, several had famous blades, many were named Lord Commander, and all were great warriors with fascinating and unique stories. Well, perhaps not Eric and Arik, whose stories are nearly mirror images of each other, because, well, so were they. Despite the notion that these are all heroic figures, none of these men were free from controversy. Ryan Redwine was made hand to the king and was a complete and utter failure at it. Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight's legend is tarnished by rumors of improprieties with his sister, Queen Nerys. Eric and Arik killed each other, making them kinslayers. Gerald Hightower and Arthur Dane were arguably more loyal to Prince Rhaegar than to King Ares, and and Selmy has switched sides multiple times and may again. Only one of them is free from controversy surrounding his deeds. Serwin of the Mirror Shield. But he's a world apart for other reasons, too. The rest of the listed men died within the last 200 years, or are still alive. Serwin lived during the Age of Heroes, thousands of years ago, when there were not only no King's Guard at all, there were no Targaryens either. In fact, there weren't even knights. Serwyn was said to live during the time of the earliest Gardener kings, and the Andals didn't come to Westeros in large numbers until much later. This means Serwyn is most surely a figure of first man heritage, thus he can't easily be a knight. It's not that first men can't be knights, they can. There are plenty of examples. It's that they probably didn't exist in Westeros or at all when Serwyn was alive, knighthood being an Andal institution. Another case is John the Oak, legendary founder of House Oakheart and the man credited with bringing chivalry to Westeros. He's called the First Knight, but this is likely a nickname given well after he lived. John the Oak was apparently the son of Garth Greenhand and a giant. Thus, he's another figure from well before the Andals came. We'd guess that he upheld the kind of values now associated with chivalry but was likely never called knight in his own lifetime. House Oakheart of Old Oak is deep in knightly honor, and they've produced multiple members of the Kingsguard over the years. So they'd prefer we not explore this contradiction over much. At the very least, Singers and Septons and others have rewritten history, revising it to include Sirwin, where he doesn't belong. But they never apparently tried to add a Sir in front, despite naming him as a knight. He is not Sir Sir Sirwin. If we look back to that opening list of names, it seems the only one who wasn't a knight is the one with Sir built into his name. Maybe he really was Sir twin brother to Sir Luz. There are several examples of Sirwin's deeds. Deeds that go a long way towards explaining why he's still so famous and beloved to this day. The story that he's most famous for is the slaying of a dragon named Urax. To do this, he used a highly polished shield. The dragon only saw its reflection and was not alarmed by his approach. Before Urax could detect the ruse, it was too late, and Sirwin became a legend. That's impressive. But like the timeline regarding knights, it doesn't fit the idea of Kingsguard very well either. Actually, it fits even less well. The Kingsguard, until Robert Baratheon, only served the Targaryens, and they began under Aegon the Conqueror, thanks to his sister wife, Queen Visenya. The only time in the Targaryen reign where Kingsguard fought against dragons was during the Dance of the Dragons, also mentioned in Bran's quote. Of course, the Dance and the Age of Heroes were very, very far apart on the timeline, and we know that a knight named Sir Byron Swan tried to note that I said tried to, imitate the legendary Serwyn of the Mirror Shield's ploy during the Dance of the Dragons. So you see, we can be sure Serwyn was not actually a Kingsguard and pretty sure he was not a knight, but he may have embodied the spirit of what they now stand for. He was possibly in the ancient order of the Green Hand who stood for honor, as we're told, but since that order contained knights, Eh, maybe not. So he just went from not actually a Kingsguard, to not actually a Knight, to a time before knights even existed in Westeros. What about killing a dragon? Did he really do that? Let's see what the World of Ice and Fire has to say about the time of Serwyn and the Gardener Kings during the Age of Heroes. It may help clear things up even more.
0: In those centuries of trial and tumult, the Reach produced many a fearless warrior. From that day to this, the singers have celebrated the deeds of knights like Sir Wynn of the Mirror Shield, Davos the Dragon Slayer, Roland of the Horn, and the Knight Without Armor and the legendary kings who led them.
1: Okay, we sought clarity, but instead we've just doubled down twice on possible confusion. Alongside Serwin of the Mirror Shield, in an era without knights, we have a guy called the Knight Without Armor. And in an era without Targaryens, we have Davos the Dragonslayer. Well, at least none of these guys are said to be in the Kingsguard. Why are stories of Serwin of the Mirror Shield so conflicting? Why is he associated with modern figures at all? and given that george r. r martin loves to use history to foreshadow the future what does serwin tell us and about who in a song of ice and fire one should never feel that they have all the answers but we definitely have some answers Welcome back to History of Westeros podcast. This episode is brought to you by our dragon rider patrons like Tylanes the Talon, King of Gagasos, Rider of Talarius, a red dragon with scales, horns, and talons of midnight black. And Hunter of House Black Cloud, the Storm Runner, King of the Sky, Rider of Horanicon, the Windworm, a dragon with scales of brilliant platinum silver, horns, claws, and fangs of pure white, with eyes the color of diamonds of fire. I doubt either of these dragons would fall for Serwin of the Mirror Shield's trick. They're much cleverer dragons than your Join us at patreon.com slash history of Westeros for early access to episodes, scripts, shoutouts, and more. Yes indeed, George R. R. Martin loves to use history as a device to foreshadow the future. The concept of history repeating itself is one he seems to enjoy playing with, or at least one he feels he must include because there are countless examples of it in his work and in the real world. It's more than a recurring theme, it's a constant feature. A king who loved food and drink and women and not a lot else? Whose bastards plagued the realm? Who had a famous deathbed scene? Am I talking about Robert Baratheon or Aegon the Unworthy? Well, both. These parallels are never exact though. Some aspects are inverted, reversed, or warped. Aegon the Unworthy was not a fearsome warrior, but he was cruel. Robert didn't legitimize his bastards, and he wasn't cruel so much as dangerously indifferent. It's also all in where you're standing. Robert was a terrible king, but if you ask and Selmy, who served him, and Ares while watching Joffrey grow up, well, a bad king can always be outdone by a worse king. It's the same with mirrors. It's all in where you're standing. Mirrors can maintain much of the original while distorting or seemingly changing other parts or reversing them entirely. Consider that when you raise your right hand in a mirror, it can appear that your reflection is raising their left. It's as if George R. R. Martin is holding a mirror up to history, or perhaps several mirrors, and the various reflections and distortions that result from the original are what follow through the years. The portrayal of Serwin of the Mirror Shield is itself a reflection from a real-world myth. The Greek hero Perseus slew the Gorgon Medusa, a creature whose gaze turned all who met it into stone. He used a mirror shield trick of his own. No one could look directly into the eyes of Medusa, but her reflection was safe from the effect. Her face, when seen in his shield, was harmless, and like Urax the dragon, Medusa the Gorgon was felled with one sure strike. In that first quote, which is in Brand's second ever chapter, we can see that Serwyn is mentioned early in A Game of Thrones. He's mentioned again in Sansa's first chapter. And we get our first example of a reflection as well as some of George R. R. Martin's sense of humor. Because here, she's thinking of Joffrey.
0: He was so gallant, she thought. The way he had rescued her from Sir Elin and the Hound. Why, it was almost like the songs. Like the time Serwyn of the Mirror Shield saved the Princess Terissa from the Giants. Or Prince Aemon the Knight, championing Queen Neri's honor against evil Ser Morgul's slanders. Sansa 1, A Game of Thrones.
1: So we have Serwyn rescuing a very Targaryen-sounding princess from giants. The name Darissa never appears again, including on the Targaryen family tree. Nor does Joffrey really save anyone from anything, especially giants. Closer to the opposite, really. He repeatedly orders men, especially his Kingsguard, to beat. His princess. So when Serwin's name is mentioned, it's clearly not Joffrey casting his reflection. A few paragraphs later, however, we get the first appearance of a man who absolutely does. Barristan Selmy. And Barristan the Bold does save a princess from a guy named the Titan's Bastard. Giants, Titans, not too far off. Darissa and Daenerys. Also kinda sounds similar, and it's definitely like a song. When Barristan saves Daenerys, he was pretending to be a squire named Whitebeard, and while wielding only a staff, he defeated Mero of Bravos, a notorious sellsword captain who was armed with a sword. Barristan also tries to save Daenerys from Drogon in Daznak's pit by trying to get his attention but that wasn't necessary. Danny had that handled all on her own. Maesters of all sorts agree that giants were not uncommon back in the Age of Heroes, so the reference to them and Princess Darissa is no stretch, at least in that regard. Dragons are less clear, but there's some evidence of dragons in Westeros long ago, such as at Battle Isle, where the High Tower now lies. And well, if Serwyn and Davos the Dragonslayer are accurately placed in the Age of Heroes, then they're part of the evidence, each having slain at least one. Ancient dragons are mentioned in the Hedge Knight as well, but the biggest piece of evidence comes from george r. r martin himself who flat out says in response to that reference of ancient dragons in the hedge knight quote there were dragons all over once of course in a song of ice and fire animals especially those found on sigils are often metaphorical representations like how mirror of bravos isn't really a titan but a large man from a city that built a huge titan we must consider that Davos, the Dragon Slayer, slew a metaphorical dragon instead of a real one, maybe? But even Serwyn himself could be explained this way, though his deed is so much more specific. The dragon is even named, and sounds so authentic, Urax. But so does Darissa sound Valyrian, yet probably isn't. Since Daenerys is so distanced from her family's history, much of what we know about dragons early in A Song of Ice and Fire comes from Tyrion's chapters. Later that knowledge is filled out by in-world historical sources like the World of Ice and Fire, which also discuss these apparent conundrums.
0: And besides the legendary kings and the hundreds of kingdoms from which the Seven Kingdoms were born, stories of such as Simeon star eyes, Sirwyn of the Mirror Shield, and other heroes have become fodder for septons and singers alike. Did such heroes once exist? It may be so. But when the singers number Sirwin of the Mirror Shield as one of the King's Guard, an institution that was only formed during the reign of Aegon the Conqueror, we can see why it is that few of these tales can ever be trusted. The Septons, who first wrote them down, took what details suited them, and added others, and the singers changed them, sometimes beyond all recognition, for the sake of a warm place in some Lord's Hall. In such a way does some long-dead first man become a knight who follows the Seven and guards the Targaryen kings thousands of years after he lived, if he ever did.
1: It almost doesn't matter if he was real, or exaggerated to the point that the stories bear little resemblance to the truth, because whether he lived or not, his name has power. That alone can explain why Serwyn of the Mirror Shield is spoken of to this day. It is not a new phenomenon or product of the current era. Many of the same names are mentioned in generations past as we see in The Hedge Knight, which is 90 years before the events of A Game of Thrones.
0: He thought back on all the songs he had heard, songs of blind Simeon Star-Eyes and noble Serwyn of the Mirror Shield, of Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight, Sir Ryan Redwine and Florian the Fool, they had all won victories against foes far more terrible than any he would face. But they were great heroes, brave men of noble birth, except for Florian. And what am I, Dunk of Flea Bottom, or Sir Duncan the Tall?
1: The names of these heroes mean a lot. They give legitimacy to whatever cause they lend themselves. This is something Cersei forgot when she dismissed Sir berriston as Tyrion points out after the fact.
0: Sir Barristan was the Lord Commander of Robert Baratheon's Kingsguard, Tyrion reminded her pointedly. He and Jaime are the only survivors of Aerys Targaryen VII. The small folk talk of him in the same way they talk of Serwyn of the Mirror Shield and Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight. Tyrion won the Clash of Kings.
1: Cersei admits she didn't think of this. Of course, it was Varys' idea to have Barristan leave, but that's because he wanted to sabotage Joffrey's regime. And of course, his partner in crime, Illyrio, recruited him as Arshton Whitebeard shortly after, which was surely planned in advance as well. Varus being Varus. Another top-level schemer weighs in here. This is Littlefinger telling Sansa how he encouraged the Tyrells to put Loras up for the Kingsguard, in part using the power of these legendary names.
0: I also planted the notion of Sir Loras taking the White. Not that I suggested it. That would have been too crude. But men in my party supplied grisly tales about how the mob had killed Sir Preston Greenfield and raped the Lady Lollis, and slipped a few silvers to Lord Tyrell's army of singers to sing of Rhyam Redwine, Serwin of the Mirror Shield, and Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight. A harp can be as dangerous as a sword in the right hands. Sansa
1: V, A Storm of Swords. These are among the same names in brands. quote. Well... Not Lollys or Sir Preston, but Rhyme Redwine and Eamon the Dragon Knight's names are coming up a lot. They were lord commanders of the Kingsguard whose lives were separated by a mere few generations. Eamon only died about 120 years before the start of the books, while Serwin may not have ever lived, and if he did, it was thousands of years before he and Rhyme Redwine. It's a long time to stay famous, but Westeros has held the near exact same chivalric codes of behavior for... just as long, roughly speaking... In between the lives of Aemon the Dragon Knight and Rhyme Redwine was the Dance of the Dragons, where the aforementioned Sir Byron Swan was roasted while taking his shot at being the new Serwyn.
0: How did Serwyn of the Mirror Shield slay the dragon Eurax? He approached behind his shield. Eurax saw only his reflection until Serwyn had plunged his spear through his eye. Halden was unimpressed. Even Duck knows that tale. Can you tell me the name of a knight who tried the same ploy with Vega during the Dance of the Dragons? Tyrion grinned. Sir Byron Swan. He was roasted for his trouble. Only the dragon was Cyrax, not Vega. I fear that you're mistaken. In the Dance of the Dragons, a true telling, Maester Munken writes That it was Vega. Grandmaester Munken airs. Sir Byron's squire saw his master die and wrote his daughter of the manner of it. His account says it was Cyrax, Rhaenyra's she-dragon, which makes more sense than Munkin's version. Swan was the son of a martyr lord, and Storm's end was for Aegon. Vhagar was ridden by Prince Aemond, Aegon's brother. Why should Swan want to slay her?
1: I must say how this debate is given to readers the first time is quite an inside joke. It's highly meta that Tyrion argues the same position of Mushroom, a dwarf, while the half-maester Haldon argues the same position of that of Munkin, a grand maester. As Tyrion points out, there are flaws with the idea it was Vagar. but Tyrion's arguments have flaws too. How Swan was sworn to Storm's End, true, but the Dance of the Dragons saw many lords go against their liege, and many change sides, some more than once. Worse, Cyrax was inaccessible to enemies of the blacks. She never left the Red Keep, never fought in battle. There would be no chance for Sir Byron to make this attempt on her life unless he, say, declared his allegiance to the blacks as a ruse and then, once he gained their trust, made his attempt to kill her. Infiltrating the Red Keep to kill a dragon in the guise of an ally would mirror several other events during the dance, including another one we'll discuss, but this remains a fairly narrow possibility for this theory. Contradicting Byron's own squire, plus Tyrion and Halden Halfmaester both, and Mushroom and Munkin, Septon Eustace, presents a third option, that Swan was after Sunfire. This makes a lot of sense as Sunfire was badly wounded after the Battle of Rook's Rest and for a long time incapable of flight. This would seem to be a good opportunity to slay a dragon if there ever was one. The counter argument here is that no one knew where Sunfire spent his time recovering. But this is not a very overwhelming point. This is a dragon we're talking about. Just because the sources do not know where the beast was, maybe some locals did. Swan could have found her. It's possible. The sigil of House Swan is two swans. Mirror images of one another. One black, the other white. Sir Balon Swan joins Joffrey's Kingsguard and all agree he's a great knight. Probably why Varys was against him. That aside, Jaime confronts him regarding the Swan family splitting their loyalty during the War of Five Kings. Though Balon fought for Joffrey, his elder brother Donal fought for Renly and then Stannis. Balon, given the Kingsguard raiment and a record of loyalty, well, he's clearly the White Swan. Donal is clearly the Black Swan of that family. Point being, it could be that Sir Byron Squire is also doing a bit of playing both sides on behalf of his dead master. But if so, why then did Byron Squire not simply tell the truth then? The Blacks came out ahead in the end, so an attempt on Sunfire, a dragon on the green side, would be a good deed in the eyes of the winners. Ditto an attempt on Vagar. This would seem to tilt the argument back in favor of an attempt on Cyrax's life. But then we come right back into the problem of no access to Cyrax for Sir Byron. Thus, all these theories are flawed. So while Sir Byron Swan did not duplicate Sirwin's feat of killing a dragon, he did duplicate Sirwin's feat of creating a historical mystery containing elements that appear together while also completely contradicting each other. No matter what side you take, you're accepting a flawed position. It's a bit like choosing sides in The Dance of the Dragons itself. Both sides are quite problematic. Choosing sides isn't just a challenge for us readers, it was a challenge for the characters in World. With that, We have one final example, or is it two? That's for you to judge. It's another philosophical mirror-style question, and it involves that very same difficult choice of blacks or greens while staying white. Indeed, we're staying in the Dance of the Dragons, and why not? Serwin was a dragon slayer, and this was one of the very few times in Westerosi history where people were actively trying to kill dragons. We now turn to a man from the same region as the Swans and Selmy's, another legend from the Stormlands, also a Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, also the finest knight of his era. But unlike Ryam Redwine, Aemon the Dragon Knight, and Barristan Selmy, and unlike other famous Lord Commanders, he is not mentioned alongside the name of Sirwyn the Mirror Shield, even though he is literally the man who replaced Sir Ryan. It's not that he wasn't their equal in battle. He certainly was that. Rather, it's because his reputation was ruined. Thus, it's that he is not their equal in honor. There are several reasons for this, but one is that he set into motion a plan that was, ironically, closer to Sir Wyn's great deed than any performed by these other illustrious names. As we alluded to earlier, sometimes dragon is metaphorical. Not all would-be dragon slayers target real dragons. Sometimes, for example, it's a dragon queen thereafter. And not to be outdone by dragons, mirrors have their share of metaphorical comparisons as well. Sir Kristen Cole, the Kingmaker, didn't make the assassination attempt himself. After all, he and Queen Rainier had a famous falling out, and the only way he'd ever get near her again would be by force. He was death with a morning star in his hand, but he was capable of dealing death through intrigue as well. Though this plan did not succeed, it was fiendishly clever in its intricacies, and he would also inadvertently launch another legend for the singers to sing of, though without his name attached to it. When the Dance of the Dragons truly heated up, very few could get away with not taking a side. Though earlier in life he had been Rhaenyra's greatest champion, those days were long gone, and Sir Criston, of course, chose the green faction. The rest of the Kingsguard also had to choose, and unlike others who could perhaps deliberate for a time, they had to choose quickly. One of the more heartrending decisions came down to two men. The two men were brothers, and like the swans, they wound up on opposite sides of the war. Like the swan sigil... They were twins presented as mirror images. But they were not of House Swan. They were of House Cargill. And even their names give off that mirror image feel. Eric and Arik. And so it was that in a war of dragon versus dragon, brother versus sister, black versus green, one white knight was sent to impersonate his twin. Sir Eric was sent by Sir Criston to impersonate his brother and slay either the queen or the queen's children. The sources differ on this, even. Like Sir, when holding out his mirror shield, the dragons would not perceive any threat, as they would only see a familiar face.
0: Sir Eric did not undertake this mission happily. Indeed, Septon Eustace tells us, "...the troubled knight visited the Red Keep Sept on the night he was to sail, to pray for forgiveness to our Mother above."
1: One could see why this plan might succeed. In the past, even their fellow Kingsguard knights could not tell them apart. Who would know Sir Eric was actually Sir Eric? Well, exactly one person, Sir Eric himself. The twins chanced upon each other, and it's said Sir Eric knew immediately what his brother was up to. They drew their swords.
0: Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight cried the day Princess Nares wed his brother Aegon, Sansa Stark said. And the twins, Sir Arik and Sir Eric, died with tears on their cheeks after each had given the other a mortal wound. Tyrion 9 A Clash of Kings.
1: But even this story is disputed. One version says they cursed each other, that there were no tears of sorrow. One says they fought for an hour, and that no onlooker could step in because they didn't know who to step in for. One says it was over in seconds. One account says they did not die together at all, that Eric died right away, and Eric four days later from the horribly painful gut stabbing given to him by his brother. Like so many of these related stories, this tale has multiple reflections, and we cannot say which is true, and it could be that there are elements of truth in several. Eric and Arik have been reborn, and they guard a queen. The Queen of Thorns, that is. You may remember them as left and right named so because she famously cannot tell them apart. They, too, were party to the assassination of a king at the Purple Wedding, though perhaps only by association. Will their story end with them in opposition? Will they die together as their legendary namesakes did? Cole's dishonorable attempt on Rhaenyra's life has another mirror image in A Song of Ice and Fire. Sir Barristan the Bold, a.k.a. the Kingbreaker, was a man from the Stormlands, as was Cole, a.k.a. the Kingmaker. Barristan was named to the King's Guard at the same age of 23 that Cole was. Selmy is a man deeply tied to a young and powerful rider queen who may yet prove problematic, like Cole was. However, as we've seen, mirrors don't just reflect, they oppose. Barristan was called to vote on the assassination of Daenerys Targaryen in A Game of Thrones. He stood with Lord Eddard Stark in dissenting. He would not do it. Did Serwyn of the Mirror Shield face... A similar challenge or two? If not asked to weigh in on assassinations, did he perhaps live during a civil war or two where choosing sides was difficult? Did Sir Wyn receive dishonorable orders like those given by Cole to Sir Arik or by Ares to Barriston? It's entirely possible, perhaps probable. They still argue over dissent from Garth Greenhand even now. And back then... I'm sure that mirror casts many reflections. Serwin may owe a crucial portion of his legacy to simply having chosen the winning side. Selmy was no king himself, but a warrior in service to such. He had little control over politics, it would seem. Thus, it is hard to imagine that Serwin of the Mirror Shield went through a full career without any such conflicts. Surely the Age of Heroes wasn't that perfectly heroic. One cannot always predict how these reflections, especially those with long shadows, will look to future generations. For example, is Barrison on the winning side? Now? And later? Hmm. Had Sir Kristen Cole been on the winning side, he might be recognized as a hero now. He might be a paragon of Serwyn of the Mirror Shield after all, and that's something to keep in mind for Barriston the Bold. A man who has switched sides as many times as Sir Criston. A queen's hand instead of a king's hand. And of course, a kingbreaker instead of a kingmaker. Daenerys tells Dario that Serwin was troubled by the ghosts of the men he slew. Barristan's chapters feature him thinking of his own ghosts. Men and women he failed to protect, like Rhaegar and his children and the three dead kings he served prior to Daenerys. And Ashara Dane, whom Barristan loved but never told... Her ghost haunts him too, while Kristen Cole may have been haunted by a confession of love either by him to Rhaenyra or the other way around. Likewise, we wonder, did Serwin have a love of his own? George R. R. Martin will likely tell us more, but for in-world characters themselves, these stories are in the past and recorded as much as they ever will be. Except, who yet knows how history will remember Barristan the Bold? His story is not fully written. It's still in progress. That is one factor separating him from the rest of these legends, like the reborn Eric and Arik. Will Barristan remain a mirror image to Serwin himself? Will he stay with Daenerys? Will he fight for friends in the Reach, the New Greens, with their male claimant? Will his reflection and reputation be blackened, like Cole, or both? Thanks for listening slash watching to History of Westeros. Check the description for links to related topics as well as all the places you can discuss this and other History of Westeros episodes like Facebook, Flick, Discord, and Slack. You can support us on Patreon.com slash History of Thanks to Rainy Targaryen from Westros.org Thanks to SweetIceAndFireSunray.com. Ashe is the best for so many things, like running the production of this video and so many other things. Thanks to Michael Klarfeld of Claredocs.de for our video intro and the awesome maps we use. Thanks to our Benjineer for making our audio quality better than it could be. And thanks to all the artists who have generously allowed us to use their work in this video. You can find links to their work in the description as well.